Hello, and welcome to Artfully Told, where we share true stories about meaningful encounters with art. I think artists help people have different perspectives on every aspect of life. All I can do is put my part out into the world. It doesn't have to be perfect the first time. It doesn't have to be perfect ever, really. I mean, as long as you, you're enjoying doing it and you're trying your best, that can be good enough. Art is something that you can experience with your senses and that you just experience as, as so beautiful. Hi, friends. Whether you are just getting started or you're a seasoned professional looking to up your game, I have an exciting opportunity for you. Did you know that I am actually the creator of 10 different courses online that range from ballet, jazz, tap? They also include a mindset detox course and two stretch and tone courses. So if you're looking to start a new hobby or get a little bit fitter, or you're looking to do a deep dive into your mindset and really perform a true detox, I have the course for you, and I would love to help you out with that. So if you go to elevateart.thinkific.com, you will see all of the different courses I've created. You don't have to step in a classroom to take your first dance class. I teach a signature 20 moves in 20 days course that allows you to learn 20 steps in just 20 days. It's a lot of fun. We have a great time together. And I think you're going to absolutely love the different courses and artfully told listeners get a little something from me. So if you go, you'll sign up and use the promo code artfully told all one word. And when you do so, you'll get 15% off the purchase of any and all your favorite courses. All right, listeners, enjoy that. Again, it's elevateart.thinkific.com. See you there. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Artfully Told. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I am absolutely delighted to have as my guest today, Brian Colley. He is a playwright and producer, and I actually have had the opportunity to get to know him just, just a little bit, but through Kansas City Fringe Festival. That's sort of where we initially got connected, and I am just so delighted. Brian has such a rich background and has been involved in the Fringe Festival and as a playwright for years and years and just brings so much just interesting experience to the table today. So thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it, Brian. Hello. Thank you for having me. Of course. Well, I would love if you wouldn't mind sharing just a little bit about your background, maybe what got you started in art in general, writing specifically, and, and take it from there if you don't mind. Okay. I'm not sure how far you want to go back, but I think I've wanted to be a writer since I was a teenager, or at least to do something creative because I, I, I do art as well. I went to the Art Institute for a year. My college years were kind of uh, scattered trying to figure out where I wanted to be because I didn't know if I wanted to do art or if I wanted to make movies. And somehow I ended up doing theater and didn't think I wanted to write plays until I wrote my first play. And it was such a good experience that I said, hey, this is something I can do. So after college, I started writing plays and also spent a long time writing screenplays. I'm one of the founding members of the Kansas City Screenwriters, 
that's still meeting. I think it, we started in 1992 and we're still meeting today. Just a very small group of people who want to write screenplays. And I haven't really written a screenplay in a long time, but I did spend a long writing them before Fringe came along. And then I kind of committed myself to writing plays after that, just at, at the very minimum, at least doing one show a year every year for Fringe was a goal, which I have done every year since uh, 2008. Wow. Yeah. And so I know that Fringe probably helped narrow down your trajectory, but I, it seems like you, how shall we say, you got volunteered into a broader role with Fringe. And so <laughs> your role kind of has expanded from not only being on the producing side, but then also being on the whole administrative marketing genius side. Is that correct? That is correct. My wife, Terry, and I went to Fringe its first year and went and saw the shows there and came away from it thinking, hey, we could do this. And so the next year we wrote our first show for The Fringe, which was called Jesus Christ, King of Comedy. And uh, it was supposed to be a sketch show, basically around a theme of, of basically Jesus as an entertainer. And, and it's actually more about showbiz life than it is about the Bible or anything. But it was supposed to be like a group show. We invited a whole bunch of people we knew to write a sketch. And uh, one guy wrote a sketch about Jesus's birthday where Joseph is there trying to have a happy birthday with, with uh, young Jesus. And then God shows up and kind of steals all the thunder as gods will do. And, and then, so that gave us the idea to make the show about Joseph as this put upon father who's raising this kid that isn't his and, and kind of that life, the life of Joseph, which we never get to see. So we took all these different sketches and kind of built a story out of it. And that was our very first friend show. But I'm also a graphic designer and have been doing graphic, graphic design work. And I was friends with Cheryl Kimmy, who runs the fringe. And I guess I was complaining a lot about their printed program, which was basically just an Excel sheet dumped onto a piece of paper. <laughs> for people to try to figure out what show they wanted to go see. And so I offered to help the next year after that to do their program for them and have been doing it ever since. I've been every year honing it down and trying to get better and better programs so that people can find the shows they want to go. And so, and that led to other administrative roles with Fringe. I basically volunteer, help out what they need to do and work behind the scenes that way. Yes. So. And Every Fringe producer who comes through Kansas City is super grateful to have Brian because, <laughs> Brian, you are very good at articulating exactly what helps to capture someone's attention. If you're not familiar with the Fringe Festival, anyone who's listening, there are hundreds of shows to choose from every year traditionally. And so Brian is always really good at helping producers who might not have the graphic design or writing background to sort of say, hey, here are some best practices to get people's attention and, you know, do this, don't do this. So anyway, we're all super thankful <laughs> to have Brian on board. <laughs> I'll just say that as a blanket statement because it's true. So thank you for taking a spreadsheet and making it beautiful. What, but that's what happens, a great story. Go ahead. What happens is Tara and I usually, most of the shows we've done at Fringe, Tara and I write together. And 
so after the playwriting's done, she will she directs all the plays. So she will go off with the actors and she will direct the play. So I'm as a playwright, I've got nothing left to do. So I put a lot of my attention to marketing. So I apply my graphic design skills and I do the marketing. And I guess I had a few successful shows. So Fringe thought I was some kind of uh, marketing guru. So they kind of have me uh, work with marketing for Fringe as well and, and help all the other producers market their shows. And I help as much as I can. So <laughs> Yes, and we appreciate it. So definitely. And yeah, I love the story, especially of your first show and how that came together. And that sounds so fascinating to come from a perspective that, like you said, we don't get to hear. So I like the imagination behind that. And so that was 2008, or is that when you first saw The Fringe? No, that was 2008 was our first show. Perfect. And then after that, you've literally produced at least one per year. Do you ever run out of ideas? I mean, obviously you don't, but how does that writing process work for you? It varies, of course, with each show. Sometimes we plan way ahead and have ideas going in to the show. We usually don't start talking about the next year's fringe until after, you know, until that that show is done and then we start talking about what are we going to do next year. And so it usually takes about a year to write a show. Sometimes we'll have an idea in advance, but usually not. So it's just kind of Looking for that thing that we have not done before is basically looking for an idea or a concept or a style or something that we haven't done yet, because it's real easy to just, well, what, what you might notice is most theater companies are a company and they have a name and they produce shows and, and there's some at fringe theater companies that come back every year and produce shows. But you'll notice with our shows, practically every year, it's a different theater company name that we use on the idea that once you've established a theater company as a name, you're pretty much locking yourself into doing a certain kind of show. So this theater company will do this kind of show and you know what to expect from them. And we didn't want that. We didn't want to be a theater company and we didn't want to be locked down into saying, this is what we do. We wanted to actually people not know what's going to come next and not know what to expect. And so we change, we make up a theater company every year and this, that theater company we make up would produce that kind of show. But it's been interesting because sometimes we will go back and reuse a theater company name, like for our show this year, our second show we did at Fringe was called The Lingerie Shop, which was sort of like this kind of feminist fantasy kind of thing, comedy. And the theater company we, we used was called The Fourth Wave theater which is like a feminist reference and and that was all well and good but now we're doing a new show that also has this kind of feminist theme so we're using the fourth wave theater company has come back and is producing our second show so that's kind of how it works and then on years where we don't know or where what we're planning to do falls through and we have to do something else then we call it plan b productions oh i love that <laughs> Perfect. Which, which has happened. It's happened twice, I think. Yeah, it's twice that we've had to fall back on the Plan B production. Oh, that's brilliant. Some, sometimes things don't work out. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> especially in the art world, especially with live theater. Yep. Well, that's awesome. I I don't think I realized that, but that makes more sense because I'll, you know, you, once you start participating in fringe shows or 
the festivals long enough, then, you know, you sort of start to get to know each other and, and it's really fun. There's like a lot of camaraderie with Fringe and and it makes so much more sense that you're under a different title every time because there would be times where I'd be like, yeah, which one is his this year? And that makes sense. It's because you use different theater companies. <laughs> that's funny. I love it. And that's smart because, like you said, it doesn't tie you down to any one genre or topic or style like I just yeah interesting I like that approach I mean the most common thing we have in our shows is that we wrote wrote them but there have been two shows that we didn't write that we've done so even that doesn't hold true and I guess you could say Tara directs them all except the one we did last year where she was the star so we had other directors oh yeah So she has a background, obviously, in directing and acting as well. Did you guys meet through theater or through a different means? Yeah, after college, I started working with the guerrilla theater. And basically, I got out of college. I was looking for stuff to do. One of my other college friends was doing guerrilla theater and invited me in. And I just started doing whatever they needed to be done. A lot of it was sound design or running the soundboard. They didn't have anyone to do that. And eventually it was like, well, we need to market our shows better. So I started doing marketing. I eventually ended up on the board of directors and doing like the financial stuff and writing a grant. And basically it was just, this is what they need. So I'll step in and help out. But anyway, one of the last guerrilla theater shows I did was directed by Tara and, uh, and we'd met on a guerrilla theater show right before, or maybe it wasn't guerrilla. We met, she'd done some guerrilla shows. She did some other shows. We met back in the nineties doing theater. And then we, but she was just an actress then. And I kind of pushed her into her directing and going into fringe as a director. And partly because she wasn't happy with how theater was done, where she wants more of a process kind of thing where she wants to work with the actors more. And she never got that as an actor. It was always just kind of like, here's your blocking, know your lines, let's do a show kind of thing. And there's not really a process to it. So she brings that process when she does the fringe shows. I I suppose we probably have more rehearsals than normal, but, but we always give actors a lot of input into the final product. Yeah. Well, that's nice. And I think it's nice because it sounds like it's, much more up her alley and much more her style of, of interacting and, and producing these plays. So that's, that's great. I mean, that's the, such the, the nice benefit about being able to have your own productions that you produce. And, you know, she's working with you as the writer. So, you know, if there are any differences in interpretation, y'all can work that out. And I mean, that sounds like a pretty good, good uh, partnership right there. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. I'm, I'm more open probably than anyone to changing the script and, and improving it and doing whatever. And because she's a co-writer, she feels complete freedom to just change whatever she wants to change. She doesn't have to even ask me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> if it's a good idea. So yeah, it helps that way. If you want to do a process, if you want to have more of a process in, in developing a show like that, it helps to have, the play right there and to be able to just change whatever you want. Sure. Absolutely. Well, and then, so I know that you guys have a show that you're obviously producing for this year's Fringe Festival. How are you at the filming stage of it yet? Or are you guys still kind of rehearsing and getting it, getting it up to 
where it's ready to film. Where are you in that whole process? And maybe just a little bit about your show, a little teaser. <laughs> a little teaser. It's already recorded. It's actually the show we wrote for last year's Fringe before COVID happened. And we were all ready to produce it. It's called On Account of Sex. And it's about the, the long process to get to pass the uh, 19th Amendment, where the women won the right to vote um, in 1920. And of course, 2020 was the 100-year anniversary of the amendment. And so that's kind of why we plan to do the show for 2020. And it's the only time we've ever written a show that was timely in any way. And so, of course, all of our plans went awry with COVID and we weren't able to produce the show. We were just getting to the point of starting rehearsals when when COVID happened and we decided we didn't didn't want to do the show in any kind of virtual way, any kind of like a Zoom kind of thing. So we just said, well, we'll do it next year. And now here we are a year later and we're still not having a live fringe. So we still aren't able to do the show. But back in August on the anniversary of the 19th Amendment, we did a like a reading of the play using Zoom. And so we just had a one night only. This is the anniversary. So we're going to do we, we put together a reading of the show. And so we still have that recording and we're going to use that for our show for Fringe next year or this year. And then hopefully next year we can actually produce the show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely miss in-person theater. I'm so grateful that there are ways to adapt to the times. But yes, I, I miss I miss in-person theater. <laughs> well, that show sounds fantastic. I can't wait to watch it. I'm obviously <laughs> super interested in that subject. And I, I just think that it's such a great thing that you're addressing and talking about. So that's that's awesome. Thank you for doing that. And typically find out ticket links and things like that. What, early July? I'm trying to remember. Um, I think uh, tickets go on sale July 1st. Okay, perfect. So, yes. So, Brian, if there's a, people who want to watch the show and, and or connect with you, is there a good way for them to be on the lookout for that? They should just go to caseyfringe.org and they can sign up for the mailing list and be informed of everything that's going on. Cool. And then your theater company this year, plus the title, just one more time. So we're we're squared away, ready to watch it. <laughs> right. Our show is called On Account of Sex, and the theater company is Fourth Wave Theater. Perfect. Thank you. Yes, definitely be on the lookout for that. Thankfully, with the virtual format, now it's so accessible. So you don't even have to be local to Kansas City anymore. You can literally watch this from the comfort of your home anywhere. So, yeah, definitely be on the lookout for that. Brian, I'm curious, you know, you've kind of led a very artistic life with your different ventures. And I'm I'm curious if you have any advice for someone who might be interested in doing something, maybe a little bit on the side. I mean, you have your graphic design as well, but maybe for somebody who is thinking about producing a show at some point, but just hesitant, what advice would you have for somebody like that? I would say you just have to go do it. Don't don't hesitate. <laughs> go and make you a fool of yourself. When we did uh, Jesus Christ, our motto was forgive us for we know not what we do. So, yeah. and that motto still applies to everything we do <laughs> because we always try to do, we try to do stuff that we don't know what we're doing. We try to do something we haven't done before. So 
almost every show is like, well, I don't, I don't know what we're doing this time, but we're doing it. Oh. And whether, you know, cause we have done musicals, we have done an opera, we have done a variety of different shows. We did a show in a planetarium. So every time it's, it's a, a new experience for us. So we're learning every time and it's, and it's basically like doing it all over for the first time. Fringe is great for that. I mean, that's the best thing about Fringe is anybody can just go in and do something. And, and not only is it a welcome environment for that, the, the audience is welcoming to that too. They're not, they're not paying $50, $60 tickets and expecting a big professional show. They know what they're getting into. They're very forgiving of mistakes. They know the format. They know what Fringe is and, and they know it's experimental and a lot of people doing it for the first time. So it's just kind of, that's, it's just a, a place to go and do something, do whatever you, whatever, whatever you fancy. And, and, and the, the, it's, it's wide open to whatever you want to do. It's like any, any crazy idea will, will fly there. So. Yeah, definitely. So just go do it. Yes. Love it. Yep, just go do it. I like it. And I, I do agree. I think Fringe is one of the the best outlets that I've found. And it's it's not very cost prohibitive to produce a show through Fringe, too. And I know a lot of times that's a concern when you're first starting out. So, yeah, Fringe is a great connection. There are Fringes literally all across the world. So definitely try to find whatever's local to you and see what the process is like. Because I think you'll find it's a lot I mean, it's a lot of work, but it's it's a lot more accessible than you think it is. So, and the hardest part, I think, for people doing new, for people just getting out there for the first time, especially if you're producing something for the first time, the hardest part is finding an audience, finding people to come see your show, mm-hmm. because nobody knows who you are and you don't have this loyal following. So that's another thing Fringe is great for because there's already an audience there. There's people going to shows and looking for something to go see. So it's a lot easier just to find an audience and and get people to see your show. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I'm just curious. I'm sure that there are moments that stand out to you, either witnessing someone watch your art or you participating in someone else's art, but that just sort of stand out as this moment that mattered. And I'm just curious what that might look like for you if you have any examples that come to mind oh there's probably a lot of those moments i mean i've i've seen a lot of shows that have blown me away and just really impressed me and and they're not always the biggest the best in fact they're very rarely the big biggest and best show it's usually the little scrappy productions and kind of stuff you have to seek out that have really impressed me with just creativity and, and theatricality and kind of stuff because they don't have, you know, a full staff and a full shop and can build sets and, and do all the traditional stagecraft. They have to be creative and come up with different ways to do things. So there's been a lot of stuff over the years that has really blown me away. And I try to incorporate, you know, as a playwright, you you typically think of the playwright as like, well, they have these words and they write the dialogue. And, but as a playwright, you have a lot more tools available to you to that because you can say, I want this character to dance. I want this, I want there to be music here. I want, you know, uh, this should be poetry. You have all the theatrical tools at your disposal that you can pull in and use in your play. So, 
So I try to be aware of that. If I want to use mime, if I want to use masks, if I want to do this or that, you you want to be aware of what's out there and be able to use utilize all of that and and make something that's theatrical. You don't need a huge budget to to produce theater. You you just need to be creative about how you approach it, so that you can you can ta- tackle big subjects. You know. I keep telling myself someday I'm going to write a play that requires a set and it hasn't happened yet. So, you know, you just, you find other ways to do things when you're, when you're, and, and audiences, I think audiences like that. I think, I think there've been people that reacted to our shows and are just like, they, they like the creative approach. And, and I know some of the shows, a few of the shows I think have reached a, a, higher level of what you typically expect from a fringe show. I wouldn't say all of them do, but I think a couple of them have. Yeah. Well, and I like what you're saying about the sets. And I think that 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 is such a, an interesting dynamic of, you know, like you'll go and see a Broadway production or like a Cirque du Soleil show or something like that. And the sets are integral to the choreography and, and all of it. And it's amazing. Like it blows you away just because you think, oh, my gosh, the creativity in that. But then, like you said, you'll go to this local theater company or dance company or whatever, and it's kind of art speaking for itself and doesn't have all the glitz behind it. And sometimes that's really impactful just that way because you're you're not necessarily distracted by the sets or the props or things like that you're really kind of more focused on the art itself and that's where some of that brilliance can shine through so I I actually like your you, you know your challenge for yourself of how do I create this and not use sets how can I be creative and think about this in a different way and and what would that look like if I do that so kudos to you that's awesome well yeah I mean it's I mean, it's partly because, I mean, my plays are not getting produced by big theaters, so I don't have that experience, you know, to draw from. But, you know, I always, when I'm writing, I'm always thinking, how could this, how can this be produced as cheaply as possible? I'm not writing something that requires a huge budget, you know? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, my probably worst sin is, is it's hard. I find it hard to write anything with fewer than five actors so it always seems to end up at about five actors or so five or more so you know if you really want to write cheap theater you 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 can't have that many actors you know and especially if you're doing fringe shows and there's there are artists out there who are professional this is all they do is friends and they travel around the country or around the world and do for do their fringe shows and usually these shows are one or two people you know, because they have to be able to travel and travel cheaply, you know, and be able to produce it as cheaply as possible. So, so people have always told us we should take our shows to other fringe festivals, but logistically it's just really hard when you have five actors who all have their own schedules and trying to pack a show up and, and, you know, it just makes it really tough. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can relate to that. It's, it is challenging when you have a little bit of a bigger group of people and you're like, yes, we're going to travel. And then you think about all the logistics and you're like, well, maybe not, <laughs> maybe not right now. Um, but yeah, no, that is, that's really cool. I really like learning more about your process. It was so interesting to hear about, you know, the fact that you use different theater companies and why, and you know, your stance on all of the d- different things. So thank you for sharing all of that. 
And I do have three questions that I always like to ask my guests if you're okay with that. Okay, three questions. Three questions. <laughs> okay, so the first is, how do you personally define art or what is art to you? Okay. Well, I think art, in the grand scheme, art is is how we communicate. It's, it's the most advanced form of communication. I mean, the, there's... The obvious, you know, language, you write a book and and use words, and that's the obvious communication. But and, and that works great if someone can speak that language, but not everyone does. And art is a way you can communicate that goes beyond language. And and even as a playwright, of course, I'm using words, but but theater as a, as a way of communicating it's 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 not just using words to tell a story it's it's putting putting a scene on stage and communicating that experience so you can communicate the experience you can communicate emotions i mean visual art is a way to communicate you know how do i describe the color blue well i can i can do a lot of words trying to, to tell you what blue is and never really explain it but i can show you the color blue and i can do you know, a painting that shows you something you haven't seen before and communicates new ideas and thoughts and, and experiences. And I think that's kind of what art is all about and what, it, you know, it's, it's what brings us together, humanity together yeah. more than anything else. Yeah. I love that. Okay. And what do you think is the most important role of an artist? Well, it, that's a, that's a tricky question. I mean, I think the, the role of the artist is to to offer ideas to the world, and hopefully, they can offer an idea no one's thought of before. And of course, you know, everyone is born ignorant, so everyone everyone experiences new ideas all the time in the in the course of their life. It's not like there's this one set of ideas everybody knows. Everyone has a different experience, so so everyone has a way to experience art and some people gain something from it and other people don't because maybe they've already experienced that or, or they don't understand it, you know? So, so you need a wide field of art out there because there's just a different art for each person. So, but you know, it's, you go through life learning things, you get an education, you read books, you, you know, I'm a media junkie. I watch films and I listen to music, you know, it's consume, consume, consume. And I think at some point you want to contribute to that or you want to give back. And it's like, well, I've learned all this for what reason? It's like so that I can take my experience and my knowledge and offer my ideas or my observations on that. So that's where art comes into the play, I think. And it, I think it's something everyone can participate in. It's not just for professionals. Everyone can be an artist and offer something to the world. Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah. And then my final question, and I'll explain my terms a little bit, but do you think that art should be inclusive or exclusive? And what I mean by that is inclusive referring to an artist who puts their work out there and provides some context behind it, whether it's title, show notes, the inspiration, just something to give the viewer a little bit of context as to what was going on in the artist's mind 
versus exclusive referring to an artist who puts their work out there but doesn't provide the context. And so it's left solely to the viewer to decide what they will. Well, I think it depends on the art. <laughs> I think, but I generally think exclusive. I think art should stand on its own and speak for itself and not require context. But as I just said, everyone has a different experience. So if you don't provide context, somebody may not understand it or may not be interested, but that's fine because you're, you know, art, art's not for everyone. It's for those who need it. And what you're offering somebody out there might need and might react to, and that's what you're going for. But so, but I think the art should stand on its own, but I see no problem with providing context if you want. And some things are better with context and some, some, the context doesn't matter, but if, if you provide the context, it's only for those people who are really wanting that context or really want to know more. I don't think it should be a prerequisite. I think people should experience the art and say, wow, that's really interesting. I want to know more and then go after the context. I mean, like, that's how I approach it anyway. It's just like, I find something that interests me and then I want to know more about it and do the research. But, but if I do the research first, it just kind of. Yeah. It, it impacts the way you view it for sure. No matter what. I mean, it couldn't not. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. your double negative for the day. Yeah. And I, it, that makes complete sense to me the way that you were talking about it. I'm, I'm curious when you produce your plays, do you guys provide any sort of program or is it, or, or if it's a program, is it just sort of like Lisa was played by so-and-so and Daniel was played? You know what I mean? Is it, do you provide context when you do stuff or not? We always do a program, of course, because actors love to have their bios and like to think. And sometimes the program is more fun than others. I wouldn't say they really provide context. I know when we did the opera, we provided the libretto so people could read what was being sung because, you know, it can be hard to follow. Not that they could read during the show because it was dark in the theater anyway, but at least they could go out afterwards and read what they were singing if they want to. So, yeah, it depends on the show, what, what we think the show needs. Sometimes it needs more. I know Tara has a real disdain for director's notes, and so we don't really do that. We might provide just some background, but mostly we just put the actors' bios in and maybe add some fun stuff if we can think of it, so... Yeah, I like I it. No, that's totally great. And and like you said, it's it's completely up to each individual artist. So again, no wrong answer. It's just really interesting to me to hear different people's approaches and their reasoning behind it. Because I think, you know, it's, it is subjective to the artist. It's subjective to the art itself. And so I just, I'm always just fascinated by, by what people say about that. So great answer. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you again so very much for being here today, Brian. I really, really appreciate it. And I do highly encourage anyone who is interested in Brian's work to definitely check out this year's Fringe Festival. Again, tickets are supposed to go live in, we'll just say early July, just in case anything, but just keep your eyes open for that. <laughs> KCFringe.org. And then yeah, definitely take a look at that. Well, thanks again, Brian. It was so much fun to chat with you today. I'm looking forward to seeing this production, of course, and and I appreciate you. Thanks. <laughs> I guess we should mention that the Fringe Festival itself will be July 18th through August 1st. Those are the actual dates you can actually watch the shows. 
Perfect. Thank you for that. Yes. Yes, exactly. So that will give you your timeline for how long you can watch it. So you'll you'll have plenty of opportunities to grab those tickets and and watch the the production. And if you are feeling as inspired as I am right now, I'd love if you would share this with a friend or two, and we will catch you next time. If you have a story to share with us, we would love that so much. And I hope your day has been artfully told. Hi, friends. I wanted to share with you another podcast that I think you're going to fall in love with just as I have. It's called Harlem with a View, and it is hosted by Harlem Lennox, who was a previous guest of mine on Artfully Told and a dear friend. Just because it looks easy doesn't mean it is. There is so much that goes into the work of a creative. She wants to know how the artists got into their line of work, what inspires them, but most importantly, what keeps them going. She asks them about how they make it through the blood, sweat, and tears. She wants to know what it's like to live this creative life, the good, the bad, the ugly, and even the magical. So she goes behind the scenes with creatives from different genres, and she explores their history, their take on life, and talks about the business of art and the dedication of making art. She has a brilliant, brilliant platform. I think you will fall in love. I highly recommend that you search for Harlem with a view. Thanks.